Amen. Let's turn to the book of Haggai, Haggai chapter number one. Some of you are like, what'd you just say? Haggai. Well, if you need help finding the book of Haggai, it's right after Zephaniah and right before Zechariah. How's that for you? But seriously, if you uh, turn to Matthew, just turn a couple pages back, you'll find it. Uh, the book of Haggai, God really spoke to me through my devotions out of this book, and uh, I'm really excited to preach through it the next couple times I have the opportunity to preach. I'll uh, preach tonight, and then Lord willing, preach Sunday night out of chapter 2. Super excited about that. Um, if you're in a tough place right now, or you know someone who is, I really believe that message on Sunday night will be a real encouragement if I don't mess it up. Because um, the text is so helpful. Uh, but we'll be in chapter number one tonight. We'll cover all 15 verses together. Haggai chapter one. Give you just a minute to find your place there. Um, I remember when Shelby and I first came on staff, we, uh, the, you know how it is, there are couples in our church getting married left and right. Now it's, there's babies getting out of the nursery left and right. It fast forward two years. And I remember when Shelby and I got married, it was just about four and a half years ago that we got married. Premarital counseling helps prepare you for some of what you're going to face in marriage, communication challenges and, and stuff like that. But there were a couple things that premarital counseling did not prepare me for. One of the things premarital counseling didn't prepare me for, I lived with brothers all of my life. And when I started living with a woman... I didn't realize how much hair gets all over the house. Now, my wife, she has long, beautiful brown with golden highlights and her just luscious, thick head of hair. But unlike, I, I'm not going to go there. Anyway, that, I was surprised how much that, I mean, I'm putting on a pair of shoes and there's hair in my shoelaces. And maybe I'm the only guy who experiences that. I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for excessive throw pillows. Now, don't get me, don't get me started on the throw pillows. Um, I'm lucky. Shelby, I think, has seven of them on there. I, I think I've heard Pastor gripe about how many Miss Katie has. And then I wasn't ready for the honeydew list. I'm not a handyman at all, and so naturally anything that was added to the honeydew list, it became the procrastination list. And the more I began to meet other men of Fellowship Baptist Church, I was encouraged because I wasn't the only one that procrastinated my honey-do list because it felt like almost every man in our church, I'd visit a house and they would give us, you know, the courtesy tour of the house and then there would be a doorway or a stairway that we wouldn't go down because it would lead to the unfinished basement that is famous in liberal Kansas. I took a, a poll about this and I, I guess I discovered that it's more common to have an unorganized garage than an unfinished basement. We procrastinate projects around the house, don't we? we procrastinate things that are important. And why, why does that happen? Well, I could tell you as a recovering procrastinator, I have a story about that later. Really, here's what it is. We prioritize certain things above what's normally should be considered more important, right? On my day off, the last thing I want to do is organize our garage when I could just sit down and watch Netflix. 
The last thing I want to do is, is hang a piece, uh, some decoration on the wall when I could just relax. And I know some of you guys are thinking, man, you want me to give up McDonald's French fries. You talked about that a couple weeks ago. Now you want me to finish my basement, organize my garage. But, but here's what I'm getting at, is that if we're going to look at the book of Haggai tonight, if I could say this, it, Israel, when we look at the book of Haggai, it's like they had an unfinished basement. And here's what I mean by that, is that when Haggai begins to preach to the people of Israel, he's going to confront them about something that God took very seriously, and it was this, that God had told them to build the temple, and they had procrastinated doing it for 18 years. Now let me give you the context of this. 586 B.C., of course, many of you know, if you've ever heard our pastor preach the Old Testament, that God's people, the nation of Israel, were carried away captive out of their homeland into the nation of Babylon. They were removed from their homeland. They had to live as captives. A lot of them lived in work camps like many of us are familiar with, with our nation's history and World War II and all of that. And they had to live in conditions like that. And about 50 years later, God raised up a different leader that would be in charge of the nation of Babylon. And that different leader allowed just a small remnant of the people to go back to Israel and begin resettling their former land. And so obviously as they went back to Israel, God's number, pri number one priority for the people was that they would rebuild the temple that had been destroyed 50 years earlier. Because Solomon's temple, the, the beautiful grand temple, maybe a lot of us are familiar with in scripture, that was leveled by the Babylonians. And now they had nothing. They didn't have a place to worship. They didn't have a permanent place that would house God's presence. They didn't have a place that would uh, facilitate proper worship according to the law. They didn't have any of that. And so God said to, to the nation of Israel that their number one priority needed to be to build this temple. And they started out building the temple. But when the book of Haggai comes into play, they hadn't touched the temple grounds for 18 years years. Now procrastination's funny when we talk about an unorganized garage, but when we start talking about God's priorities, it's not so funny anymore. And here's the truth, that God doesn't tolerate when we don't prioritize his calling. And that's why God had to send Haggai to confront the people of Israel. We're going to talk tonight from the book of Haggai. I've titled the message tonight, First Things First. And really the theme of the book of Haggai could be summed up by this statement, the time is now, because what God is doing is he's calling people who are apathetic to move to action. And what God is going to confront in chapter number one is the issue of misplaced priorities. Look at verse number two. Verse 1 is an introduction. Verse 2 says this, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Now, I kind of identify with Israel because, like I told you, I once was a king of procrastination. I'm a recovering procrastinator. Um, when I was in eighth grade, my, I had this big science project. And we had to, I don't know if, this was busy work or, or what the point was, but we had to build 
we had to make a big old binder that had every paper we received in our science class. So throughout all four quarters of school, we had to collect all of those and, and organize it, have different dividers and have it all in page protectors and do as, as best as you could to make this thing look sharp. And his point was that, you know, 20 years you could go back and refer to it. Well, that's in the garbage can now because I never referred to it. But needless to say, I wanted to do the best. I'm a type A guy. But I was also a procrastinator. So the night before the binder was due, I'm telling you, this isn't a little binder. I bought a six-inch binder, all right, big binder, and full of science notes. And I was so obsessed about every detail being right, I didn't just put the packets in a page protector. I removed the staple and put every individual page in a page protector. I was going to get an A plus on my science binder. And I remember that I didn't touch it until the night before, and I was up till 2 or 3 a.m., and I remember my mom looking at me and saying, Mike, I tell you, every time a big assignment comes, you got to do it earlier. You can't wait until the last minute. And here's what I know about procrastinating. There's just two keys to being a good procrastinator. You need a small challenge that you can use as an excuse for a big delay, right? Happens to me in the office all the time. Got to update the computer. Got to stop working. My mind's tired, so I'm going to watch maybe a video or something. You need a small challenge to delay your work, and then you need something less important to occupy your time. And the more important it sounds, the better if you're procrastinating. The more important you can make the distraction sound, the better. And that's exactly what Israel did. Verse number two, they said, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Well, what were they talking about? Here's what they're referring to, is that God had, had told them to build the temple in 538, or sorry, 536 B.C. And what had happened shortly after that, they had laid the foundation, and history tells us that one of the local rulers there, there was some kind of legislature, some government crackdown that happened that delayed the building of the temple for one year. If you've ever tried to build something and you've had trouble with city permits or whatever, that's exactly what they were facing. Okay, so for two years they had a legitimate excuse. But after that delay came, after that challenge came, 16 years went by and they still didn't touch the temple. First it was the permit didn't get pulled and it was like they didn't feel like it. And then they just stopped thinking about it. But then look at verse number four. Haggai actually gets to the root of the issue as to why they hadn't build, built the temple. He said, look at verse four. He said, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? In this house lie waste? They had something less important that they made more important than God's house. What are sealed houses? Um, I remember visiting uh, John and Cindy Knutson's house when we first moved here. And it's very obvious when you walk in their house that there's like this master carpenter that lives there, right? I mean, the, the, the wood trim, I mean, it's just gorgeous, uh, their home that they've built there together. And uh, it would cost me thousands of dollars to hire somebody to do that, but he probably took a couple afternoons to build it, you know? Just beautiful. Well, in their day, having a luxury home was having a, a wood-paneled home. That, that, was the, that was the iconic luxury house. In our day, we would say, you know, they have granite countertops, they have a really nice den, uh, they have a home movie theater or something like that. 
That's what a luxury home looks like in our day. But in their day, it was the sealed houses. And so here's the picture that Haggai is painting. Is that they moved to Israel, and God tells them to build the temple. And then, you know, you just hear the Israelite husband, because he's got a, a honeydew list that's a thousand pages long, because they don't have a place to live. So one family after another, okay, I'm going to take a break on the temple. I'm going to build our house. I'm sick of living in a tent. And then they build the house. He's like, you know, if we're going to build the house, we might as well make it a nice place to live. So he adds some nice things to it. And then if we're going to do that, we might as well add some crown molding. And if we're going to do that, uh, maybe we should add on another bedroom in case we have more kids. A couple years pass. Hey, maybe it would be nice if we had a garage. Maybe some granite countertops on an island in our kitchen. And maybe a, a, a little den with a home movie theater. And you, you could see it, right? That they're, they're just adding on to their house. And, and if you look around the nation of Israel, here's what Haggai the prophet saw. He saw neighborhoods full of beautiful luxury homes. But he went around the corner to 310 West Pancake where God's house should have been. And it was rubble. It was waste. That's why he said this house lied waste do you see the irony would that disturb you if, if i mean imagine put yourself there if you see a bunch of god's people with massive luxury homes when god had told them 18 years prior that's fine you can have a nice house but build my house first and they didn't build god's house because they were too busy building their own houses and paying attention to their own priorities do you get the point tonight they had put their priorities over God's priorities. First things first. I read a book by a man named Stephen Covey a couple years ago. Fantastic book that helped me. And he had a chapter on time management called First Things First. And I, and I want to read the quote that he started the chapter with. He, he said this. Things which matter most must never be at the mercy of things which matter least. Of course, he's writing about time management, and, and, and he opened with this question as well. He said, what is the one thing that if you could do would produce massive positive impact in your life? And a lot of us would say, oh, that'd be easy. If I had a regular date night with my wife, I mean, our marriage would probably be Quite a bit better if we spent regular time together. Man, if at work, if I had three hours a week to just dedicate uh, quiet time, not to worry about emails, man, that would really help me. But a lot of times we know what we should do, but we let less important things come into our life and crowd it out. But let me rephrase what Stephen Covey said and maybe apply it to what Haggai is getting at. Because again, Haggai is addressing the same, the same principle. And here's what he's saying. He's saying this. That God's priorities should never be at the mercy of our own pursuits. That at the end of the day, what God has called you to do should never take a back seat to your own interests. That there's nothing in your life that is more valuable than pursuing what God has called you to do. That there are things that God has demanded and asked of each of us as his people. And that we can have a, a nice life on the side and we can pursue our own interests on the side... But God's pursuits, God's priorities must never be at the mercy of our own 
pursuits. And what does Haggai call us to do tonight? Look at verse number five. He says this throughout the passage. He says, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of the hosts, consider your ways. He says, I want you to think about this. Let me ask you a rephrased question from what Stephen Covey said. What is the one thing God wants you to do that you aren't doing right now? That you need to make a non-negotiable priority in your life. What is the one thing that God wants you to do that you need to make a non-negotiable priority in your life? Maybe for some, if, if Haggai were to write to them, he wouldn't talk about their house, but he'd say, why is it that you're so dedicated to leisure, but you so often misplace worship in your life? Why is it that leisure is so easy for you to give attention to, but worship is something you so easily procrastinate? You know, I found that a lot of people and I'm not necessarily talking to this crowd, although there may be some, it's a Wednesday night crowd, most of you are very faithful. A lot of people treat church like the unfinished basement. That every little thing that can come in the way of it, they let it. I remember when Shelby and I, we wanted to organize our garage. Don't you remember this, Shelby? We got to organize the garage. We've said this literally since we moved to Liberal two and a half years ago. All right? We knew we needed to organize the garage. And I'm, I don't even remember all the excuses I came up with, but some weeks it was because it rained. I don't know if you knew this, rain doesn't get into a garage. It happens outside of the garage. Some weeks it was because Natalie didn't take a long enough nap. Sometimes it was because I just felt tired. Sometimes it's because I really needed to mow the lawn. It, it, there are all sorts of excuses. I found that people treat church a lot the same way. Every weather, minor weather thing that could get in their way. If they had a little bit of a bad day that week. Can't go to church now. Hey, can I just be real? I mean, that, that's the world we live in. And I, I'm saying I'm not, I'm not exempt from that. But I wonder if sometimes that God looks down with disappointed expectations. And sees somebody that if they were to get all in with church what their life could be. I wonder if sometimes God looks down and, he, and he's mind blown that, that, that sports takes such a priority over worship. I wonder if God would be disappointed. Maybe for some it's career over family. Could it be that, that for some of us, and, and I had a, just had a talk with Tyler about this, to, Brother Tyler today about this, that a lot of times we think of work in a different way than God thinks of it. I mean, the more I look through the Bible, I just see work as maybe three different things. Provide for your family, a platform for evangelism, and something to do to give meaning to your life, right? I mean, God gave Adam work far, way before the fall. And a lot of times we, 
we, we turn work into something that is more than that and we're pursuing a paycheck or we're pursuing a lifestyle or, or we're pursuing a, a status or we're pursuing something like that all to the exclusion of a family. And, and I can't speak for every family in here, but frankly, I've just seen it too much. I, I've just seen it happen too much to ignore it. That there are so many times, Brother Tyler, isn't there, that someone says, hey, I, I took this job opportunity, or, or I'm, I'm going to do this and have this sort of schedule with my job now, when there was an opportunity not to take that. And you just wonder, have you ever thought about what your family's going to pay for that? Have you ever thought about how that's going to affect your ability to be with God's people on a regular basis? I wonder if sometimes God looks down and he says, man, that's a nice career you've built. And you've got a lot of success. And you've got a lot of name recognition in your industry. And you have the perks of a successful job. But why is it that your career is so well attended, but your family lieth waste? They're neglected. Haggai says, consider your ways. I wonder if God were to look at our finances and wonder what ringtones we buy on our credit card. <laughs> I wonder if God looked at our finances and, and would maybe wonder, why is it, and can I just be real blunt, why is it that your car payment is bigger than your missions commitment every month? Why is it that you pay more for your gym membership than you budget for generosity? Why is it that you wouldn't think twice about missing your taxes as much as you want to? But you often forget to give God his 10%. It's misplaced priorities. Listen, God's not against nice things, but, but it's not that God doesn't want you to have nice things. God doesn't want nice things to have you. He wants to have you, he wants to have your heart, and he wants to be the priority in your life. I wonder if sometimes God looks at our schedules and, and he sees that we prioritize time for self over time with God. Or he sees somebody and he's, he's moving in your heart and he's called you to join a church and be a, a member of a local body, whether that's fellowship or not. You can't deny that that's part of the scripture and that's God's plan for every believer. But there's always an excuse. Well, I, you know, if this family member or, you know, this thing in my past or, you know, I, I'm really not sure about this thing and I, I really don't want to ask somebody and ask a question and have my questions answered. And there's always an excuse, isn't there? And a lot of times that, that our priorities are revealed by how we procrastinate serving the Lord. Here's the truth tonight. There's only two paths. You can make yourself the priority or God can be the priority. Because what did Jesus say? He said, no man can serve two masters, otherwise he will hate, he'll love the one and despise the other, right? We can't have both in our life. We have to choose one. Look at, look at what happened to the nation of Israel. Look at verse number six. He's speaking in reference to the past for them. Here's, here's what we're going to find is that God had to withhold nearly every blessing from their life. Because they chose to make themselves the priority. Verse number six, he says, Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. 
Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Look at verse number 9. Ye looked for much, and it came, and lo, it came to little. And, you, you, and when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Here's what God's saying. Is, is God is saying every increase that you brought to me, that's what happened to it. And then look at verse number 10. He goes on. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. Verse 11. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil. Do you get the fact that there's a drought here? That's all over everything. And upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labors of the hands. And here's what happened. They'd misplaced their priority. They'd said, God, what I want to do is more important than what you've called me to do. And they were building their houses, and, and they, they had nice sectional sofas, and they could watch Chip and Joanna Gaines, and think about the next project that they had on their to-do list. But here's what happened all the while, is that they would go out every day, and they would sow, and they would toil in, the, in their farm, and they would work really hard like all farmers do. But at the end of the season, they would always notice man, this was a bad year. And they would, they, would, they would watch the weather and say, man, it looks like we're going to get a good rain this season. But the rain never came. And they would have cattle uh, out on the other side of their land. And, and they would have tons of cows. And normally they'd be able to get a lot of money off of livestock and a lot of milk from their livestock. But because the drought was bad and because there was no plants growing, there's nothing that their cattle could feed on, all their cattle started to die off. And they bought a lot of nice clothes and they had a really full closet, but it just seemed like their clothes were wearing out faster. It just seemed like that even though they had a full closet, they felt really cold at night because their clothes didn't seem to be good enough they had all of these different things, and here's what God did. God had, to, God had to proactively withhold every blessing he could from their life so as to bring them to a place that they'd be willing to repent of their sin. He had to bring them to a place of experiencing emptiness. Why? Look at verse number 9. And I did blow upon it. Here's halfway down. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Here's the truth tonight, church. When you make yourself the priority, you cannot escape emptiness. You won't escape it. What do I mean by that? Have you ever worked your tail off, and at the end of the day had nothing to show for it? Have you ever felt like you're pouring your life into a career and it just feels empty and hollow? Have you ever had more than you've ever had before materially, but you still don't feel satisfied? And listen, emptiness isn't always in a physical sense, right? That's really Old Testament principle, but we know this, that a lot of times God brings emptiness to our souls, that we can be filled in our bellies, but we can be empty in our souls. And here's what it looks like a lot of times, that the money may be great, and the hotel they put you up in on the trip was nice, but it still feels empty when your wife and your kid aren't there with you. That you may be great at your hobby, but your, your soul may still be hungry because you can't 
you're not in God's house. And I just can't help but think, as, I- as Israel's experienced this, that they go out every day and they wonder, man, why are my crops so bad? Why is the rain not coming? And you, you would think that after 16 or 18 years that it would have dawned on them that maybe 18 years of drought, maybe God was behind that. But I wonder if sometimes that we think our emptiness is the real problem in our life and we try to solve emptiness and we, we don't realize that the emptiness is just a symptom of the real problem. That the emptiness is just a symptom of the fact that God has not been a priority in our life. That we think our problem is that, that we have a lot of debt or that we have a bad marriage or that we need help with, with our anger. But I think a lot of times that all of those things are symptoms because somebody way back didn't make God a priority in their life. They're treating the symptom and not the problem. See, when Israel treated God as something less, God refused to bless them. And God confronted them with their self-centeredness, and he showed them the emptiness that they were experiencing as a result of their behavior. And how did they respond? Well, unlike most of the Old Testament, they actually responded well. Look at verse number 12. Then Zerubbabel, he's the leader, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, he's another, he'd be the spiritual leader, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, what's the next word? Obeyed. They obeyed the voice of the Lord. I missed my place. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. So, so they obeyed the voice of the Lord. What does that mean? They stopped making excuses. They stopped playing the victim. They stopped pursuing their own interests over God's. And, and here's where it gets really good. Look at verse number 13. Then, when they started obeying God, then spake the Haggai, the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. Here's the truth tonight. That when you make God the priority, you invite his presence into your life. That, that, the, that the people that Haggai was ministering to, they thought that life would be better if they gave their self the priority. They thought life would be better if they made themselves first in life. But when they started to make God the priority, God's presence was with them, and, and God could enable them to build the temple in verses 14 and 15 in a way that they never imagined. But not only could God do that, but God could bless the rest of their life in a way he never was able to. You've heard our pastor say, when it comes to tithing, right? 90% with God's blessing is better than 100% without it. And I would say that that applies more than to just your finances. That 90% that 90% of your Sunday in God's, without uh, missing God's house is a whole lot better than 100% of your Sunday when you do miss it. That it's a whole lot better to work a job that may not pay as much, but you have a clear conscience, than to work a job that may have better benefits and you're troubled in your soul. That life is so much better, church, when we invite God's presence into their life, into our life. I think Israel learned something. See, it may have been nice to watch TV on their sectional sofas and enjoy their granite countertops 
and their sealed houses. But there was something intangibly better. Listen, there was something intangibly better. When they walked out the front door, they picked up a shovel, and they started working shoulder to shoulder, building God's house. There's something intangibly better about that. And it's not always physical how God blesses us, but, but I think there are enough people here tonight to testify that when you've made God the priority, there's something about life that's intangibly better and more fulfilling and more satisfying in a way that nothing else the world offers can give you. I want to ask you the same question I asked earlier. What is the one thing that God wants you to do that you need to make a non-negotiable priority. You know, Haggai was a good preacher. He gave an invitation too. Look at his invitation in verse 8. This is my type of invitation. He says, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. Now, I don't know if you parents have had to do this with your kid, Natalie's kind of starting to learn things, so it's like, you know, you got to have those moments. It's like, like Haggai saying to the people, go up the mountain, bring the wood, and build the house. What do I do, Haggai? I mean, the drought, it's crazy. My cattle are all dead. I'm in debt because my crops aren't, I haven't had crops for 16 years. And Haggai says, listen, listen, listen. Go up the mountain, bring the wood, and build the house. What do I do? My, my finances aren't in order. I haven't been prioritizing God with how I've been giving. Maybe for you it's this simple. Maybe you don't need to pray at an altar. Maybe you just need to pull out your phone, go to fellowshipfamily.org, and tithe. Can I just be that? I mean, it's that practical, right? Pull out your phone, put on Sunday night at 6.30 p.m., church and set it on repeat get, <laughs> get up tomorrow morning don't get on facebook before you leave the house and instead read your bible it's that practical and that simple i haven't joined the church first steps is coming Sign up, take first steps, find out if this is the place for you to be. Every head bowed and every eye closed.